previously on Wild Endeavors. Following their ordeal in the ethereal plane, Then and Leandro set off to rescue Then's sister from the Assassin's Guild she had become entangled in, and its leader, who was seeking to become a lich. On their way, the two companions recruited Hans and Elief, a pair of capable, if not naive, warriors. The group retraced Then's steps to the besieged city of Arthamor, the last place he saw his sister. After sneaking through two blockading armies to enter the city, the companions agreed to help a clandestine group known as the Gardeners, in exchange for help tracking down the Silence and Then's sister. To that end, our would-be rescuers square off against one of the city's gangs for control of an important smuggling route into and out of the city. When a few initial attempts go awry, the group decides to confront the Blind Brothers head-on. And now, Chapter 8, Dire Straits. standing in the entrance room of the aqueduct of Arthmore. Though it is quiet and muffled, you can hear the sound of rushing water as it flows through the canal nearby. You hear a commotion through the doorway on the left, down the hallway where Than and Leandros have gone. But as you hear that, you see two of the blind brothers, uh, members of the gang you were sent here to deal with, come charging down the hallway from the doorway in front of you. The one in front is brandishing a cudgel. The one just behind him is carrying a spear. Though, I guess probably from Hans's point of view, probably can't see that just yet. So what would you like to do? Yeah, I feel like I'm going to, if I see them like coming, I'm going to like run toward them. So it's kind of wherever we meet. Can I have my, my fancy sword out, ready to strike at the first guy? Obviously, I probably don't know right now that the other guy has a spear, but I think it's good that he's behind the other guy because I don't want to get speared. <laughs> okay, go ahead and tell us what it looks like when the two of you meet, like what that first attack from Hans looks like. I go to take off running, and I reach over to grab the sword out of the folder. I'm sure there's a real name for that. <laughs> and like as I'm running, I do that real sweet, and I like flick my hair backwards so it goes back over my head. <laughs> and I take off running, and right when I'm getting toward them, I like go, I grab it with both hands, and I go to chop down like on the shoulder. Like, between the neck and the shoulder, like I like it. Go ahead and roll hack and slash. Nine. Okay, that's a partial success. So you can roll your damage, but they will have a chance to attack you back. Or you get the hit, and it's not as effective. So you'd roll your damage and then subtract a d6 from it. I'll let him attack me back. Okay, roll your damage. So damage is 2d6 again. No, for a fighter, it's a d10, uh, but I think you also have a skill that adds more damage. And the weapons, too, right? Certain weapons do, uh, but in general, in this system, the weapon doesn't matter so much as the person's skill, so weapon or damage is determined by class. 
Yeah, Adam, look at your character sheet because my longsword like says plus one damage. I'm sure yours does too. I did check like sharp, so it says plus two to piercing. Does that count for this, or is that more of a stab? Piercing is for armor, so your sword ignores up to level two armor. That's handy. And then Hans, don't you have merciless? Oh, when you deal damage, I deal plus one d four. Alright, so I rolled a 9 and a 3. 12, okay. Okay, so this blow cleaves deep into his shoulder. You feel the collarbone pop from the blow as he is driven down to one knee. Or rather, probably partly driven and partly just kind of just trying to get away from that blow. He ends up down on one knee. Gross. When you pull your sword out, he is screaming and clutching at his shoulder and seems far less interested in fighting. So he did get an attack off on you, though. So I think that's probably part of why you were able to to cut him so deeply, like as he was swinging that cudgel at you, kind of moved him into um, your attack. So go ahead and roll Defy Danger to see if he does get a hit on you. Oh, fuck this thing. 14. (laughs) Well, that will more than do it. So as he is coming in for the swing on you, you come cleaving down into his shoulder, the same one with the, the arm that he was attacking you with. And so as it, he even gets close to you with it, like he's already lost so much leverage and strength from that thing, and it just kind of like bumps into your bicep kind of harmlessly. So Eliaf, uh, Hans takes off across the room toward the incoming blind brothers. What are you doing? I know the hallway's narrow. Like, would I be able to get get around him? Okay, could I yell, like, Hans Duck and then, like, jump on his back and jump at the guy and <laughs> go to slash him? Yeah, if Hans is up for it. I'm good with it. Okay. <laughs> that sounds sweet to me. Okay. I wouldn't know. I don't really know him that well, so I wouldn't know that he's going to do it. So I'll be, like, <laughs> a little bit surprised that he did, but I'm strong enough to where it, like, wouldn't knock him down. I would probably be, like, kind of, like, smile or like cheer him on in that brief second after he like leaps off of me assuming he doesn't like trip and fall and tumble that's a that's a good point uh, Hans is definitely strong enough for that so so Eliaf what does the attack itself look like oh yeah I'm gonna like yell at him to duck and then I'm gonna like jump off his back and try to like maybe drive the sword like through the guy like, through his chest great uh, roll hack and slash three Mark your experience. (laughs) Okay, so that is a failure. So I think that as you are running behind Hans and shout, uh, you know, duck, and come up in the air over top of him, it is kind of telegraphing your intentions enough that the second blind brother is able to kind of take a step back and brace the spear against the floor of the hallway. So the spear does hit you in the side, not like impaling you, but kind of glancing and just cutting along your rib cage, and is enough to kind of spin you to the side a little bit as well. So you're going to take three damage from that, and you're in kind of an awkward position, maybe even like one shoulder against the wall uh, right in front of this blind brother. Okay. So let me ask something. I have an ability called Setup Strike, so... When I hack and slash, I choose an ally. Their next attack against the target does plus 1d4 damage. Does that only work if I successfully hack and slash or if I attempt to hack and slash? 
I would give it to you on a on a hit or a miss because uh, your your attack is still kind of like distracting them, or you could still be positioning them or like getting them to move. So yeah, I, w- I would give it to you this time if you want. Yeah, I had planned on using it. I just didn't know when I should say it. So. So Hans, you see the opening that Elif has created for you. That'll be a an extra D4 of damage on your next attack. It's um, what is the guy like? What is his current situation? He had the spear braced on the the floor of the hallway, and then as Elif hit him and kind of dragged the spear to the side, it you know opened him up pretty significantly, and he's probably struggling right now to get the spearhead you know back away from Elif into a into a place where he can defend himself with. But there's definitely an opening there. All right, so I feel like the guy that is like suffering to death is on the ground, and that guy can see it probably. So I feel like Elif's doing whatever he's doing, but I have like my sword out. And I, like, point... I'm looking right at the guy that I want to attack. And I, like, point at the guy that's suffering on the ground. Like, with my arm out, extended at him. And then I, like, swing the sword back around me and grab it with two again. And, like, go rush at the other guy. Like, all the like, one big <laughs> That'll work. No, I feel like... I don't know if I say anything or not. I do have, like, this, like, interrogator move. I don't know that I really need to use it, but it just says, like... When you parlay using threats of violence, you may use your strength instead of charisma. I don't really think that's a thing here, but... Yeah, you're not really parlaying here. Is that more like talking? Like, Yeah. Have you never seen Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> I know. But I feel, like, I feel like I was doing that with my eyes. <laughs> I was pointing at them like something. So, so yeah, I was doing that all one big swoop. Okay, roll your hack and slash. Ten. That is a full success, so go ahead and roll your damage. I rolled a 9, a 4, and a 2. Okay. This guy is very dead, so do you want to tell us what that looks like? Yeah, I feel like with the motion that I did, if it's possible to chop his head off, I feel like that's what happened. Oh, sure. Because yeah. I was pointing at the guy, I brought the sword around me, and I kept like coming. And I feel like I just Definitely. executed him. Yeah, you lop it off. The body falls one way and the head rolls the other way. Can the head, like, roll toward Elia? Oh, for sure. It definitely falls towards Elia. <laughs> okay. I think that because Elia's so green and naive, he's probably a little bit horrified by that. He wants to kill all things that are evil, but doesn't necessarily do well with all the gore involved. So I think he kind of scoots away. So just before all of this happens, and then... A little bit of while it is actually happening. We're going to jump back to Fen. Um, you are standing in the hallway just outside of the main aqueduct chamber, and standing with you is Cloud, the halfling that you were imprisoned with in the ethereal plane, and who you accidentally killed by sucking all the ethereal energy out of her. So, how are you doing? Well, you know, um, first off, I'd be like, um, I'm sorry. Um, can you help in the situation? She tilts her head to one side and her golden pixie cut kind of bobs just a little bit. And she says, Capital Looseness grants pardon. It's good in my book. Um, (laughs) so is there anybody near me? The closest person to you is Leandros, who's at the end of the hall. And he has just let out a scream of pain before Cloud had reappeared to you, Then uh, Leandros had stepped out onto the catwalk overlooking the main aqueduct channel 
He had thrown a fireball down at some of the blind brothers, essentially burning two of them to death. As the fire was streaking across the cistern room, um, a couple of the crossbow-wielding blind brothers had shot back at Leandros. In all the commotion and screaming and fire, two blind brothers come running out of that third pipe in the aqueduct into that the, the third sluiceway, the one that is, is dry and is apparently the way that they've been smuggling things in and out of the city. One of them, a bald, hulking dwarf, turns back around towards the tunnel and shouts, Celius, go back to Baldric. Tell them the aqueduct is under attack. The rest of you assholes, get up here. As he is shouting, and Leandris is preparing another fireball to rain down on the blind brothers, the remaining seven crossbow wielders are going to take a shot at Leandros. And he dies. <laughs> it's not a great position to be in, admittedly, but um, why don't you go ahead and roll Defy Danger? Yeah, it'd be a six. Ooh. A six, okay. Oh, that's going to be so bad for you. Um, let's see what that is. Oof. Uh, that is 19 damage. I'm a negative two. Sorry, Evan. Well, that means we get to do the last breath move. Um, this game doesn't have death saving throws the, the way D&D does. It has last breath. The rule says, when you are dying, you catch a glimpse of what lies beyond the black gates of death. And then you roll. Just roll. Plus nothing. Yeah, death doesn't care how tough or how cool you are. On a 10+, plus, you've cheated death. You're in a bad spot, but you're still alive. On a 7 to 9, death will offer you a bargain. Take it and stabilize, or refuse and pass beyond the black gates. And then a 6 or less is a failure, and obviously that's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> oh, no. So, Leandros, go ahead and roll your last breath. I don't. I don't think I made it. You got a seven, didn't you? Yeah. Did I make it? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Leandros, you see these crossbows leveled at you, and you hear that staccato of all those releases as they let fly, and you have this sensation of everything kind of just slowing down as this hail of crossbow bolts is flying up at you from the floor of the aqueduct. You know that there's no way you're going to be able to avoid them. So you grit your teeth and close your eyes and kind of brace uh, as best you can to try to minimize this onslaught. There's a beat and nothing happens. The promised pain from that hail of death doesn't materialize. You cautiously open your eyes, and you find yourself in a room of black marble. All around you, the floor, the walls, the ceiling, everything is this shiny, perfect black marble. At least as far as you can tell. This room is massive, 
The walls are so far away you can barely make them out in the gloom. The ceiling is so high you can barely make it out. All you see is black marble all around you. You turn around, taking stock of the room, looking for any kind of clue or hint as to where you might be. As you make a full rotation, you suddenly find, in the space that was empty before, there's a large black marble chair. It's very spartan, it's very simple, it's very plain, but it's very large and very clearly a throne of sorts. Sitting on the chair is a humanoid figure dressed all in black. On its face is a silver, expressionless death mask. As you are taking the figure in, it begins to speak. It says, Leandros, you've been a naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> That's creepy. <pretty good>, <laughs> and then the figure begins to giggle. <laughs> Oh, that Kalimvor is such a bore. I can't even pretend to be him for a moment. As they say this, the mask begins to melt away, the black clothing shifting and changing. And in its place is a pale, gaunt human face. His features are as sharp as knives, and his black hair is slicked back over his head. In place of the black that he was wearing just moments before, He's now wearing very lavish purple velvet. He adopts a much more irreverent pose on the throne, slanting to one side, throwing a leg up over the arm. And in that moment, even though you may have already recognized him, um, you get the sense that he wants you to know who he is. Uh, this is Sirik, the Lord of Lies, the Dark Sun, the Mad God, yeah, I, I've heard of him. Sirik addresses you again, saying, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see you so soon. I didn't think you would be expecting me at all. I mean, been a naughty boy, but not too <laughs> naughty. Plus, also, I mean, with my plans, hopefully you'd never see me at all. <laughs> oh, I am well aware of your plans. That is why you're here. I'm offering you another chance. That is, if you'll do three tasks for me. What kind of tasks are we talking here? <laughs> you seem to be under the delusion that this is a negotiation. <laughs> you accept my terms, or you return to die, and you watch your body rot in the sewers of Althamore, down with the shit. The slime. Oh, you really have my. Uh, you really twisted my arm here, Sarek. I guess I accept. Swear by your ambition. By my ambition. <laughs> I think my words should be enough for you. You know me well enough. Swear. Now you have both my arms behind my back. All right, I swear. Swear by the darkness in your heart. <laughs> the darkness. Of course, I'll swear on that. It's always been there. Why not? And swear by my name, the Lord of Three. I swear it unto your name, Sarek, Lord of Three. As you say this, as you swear for the third time, you notice that a ruby 
around Sirik's neck begins to glow, and it begins to pulse with the rhythm of a beating heart. The small setting that was holding the ruby before grows and stretches until it looks more like six talons that are now encircling the ruby. Sirik strokes the ruby, almost as if he's petting it, and you feel a shudder ripple across your body. Something even deeper than that, deeper into your soul. That, that feeling like somebody is walking across your grave. Your first task. You travel with a paladin named Eliaf. You will break him. Make him denounce his god and his faith. Turn him from the light. It's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That should be easy enough. I know my ways. We shall see. Everything goes black for a moment. And the next thing that you'll remember is waking up on the floor of the aqueduct chamber. You have made a deal and survived. So we'll see when you come back into the fight here. Then you are standing in the hallway. You're watching Leandros as he summons and then throws a fireball down into the the aqueduct below. Then as those arcane runes appear around his hand again, and the fire begins to kind of swirl as he begins to summon another fireball, you see a flurry of crossbow bolts. A couple of them go wide and clatter against the stone walls, but almost like a drum roll, five of them slam into his chest and his arm and leg. He lets out a scream of pain, which is cut off midway through as he just topples backward onto the platform. Can I try to just use the Shadow Forge and try to, like, use it to make, like, a like an arm out and grab him and pull him to me? Yeah, go ahead and roll that. Oh, boy. Nine. Okay, you get to pick two. It creates the desired effect. It does not cost an extra price. It does not draw unwanted attention. We'll do create the desired effect and do not need to pay extra. Okay, so since it does exactly what you want it to do, go ahead and tell us what that looks like. What are you doing? Uh, you just kind of see, like, uh, a smoky, kind of weird, like, black with a little hint of blue, maybe, or purple. Um, just kind of extend from my arm. Onto it and wrap around him and then like kind of just yanks him towards me. So as that is happening, a surprise guest joins the fray. Paul, why don't you tell us what you're doing? Um, so there's you. So am I down below with the seven, or where where am I? You had said you were going to come up through kind of the sewer systems of Arthamore, up through those pump houses. So you could very easily be in canal number two, um, right next to the third one, which is the one that that's doesn't have any water in it so if you want you could be right next to four of them that are would be facing away from you the ones who just shot leandros uh, there'd be two more on a platform above and slightly behind you and then two more a little bit further down the aqueduct away from the city in that that third canal as well great perfect um i guess you see a a, a nine foot crocodile burst out of the canal and uh, attempt to chop off the head of one of the bad guys. I always knew there were lizard people in the sewer. 
So go ahead and roll that as a hack and slash. That would be 2d6 plus your strength modifier. It's the special om-nom-nom attack. Yeah. Uh, four. Okay. I'm not good at rolling. <laughs> it's okay, I think my first roll was the same. So these blind brothers seeing and hearing this massive crocodile bursting forth from the canal beside them kind of begin to panic and begin to back toward the that hulking dwarf at the end of the, the canal. In this moment of panic, the one that you are biting at kind of holds the, its crossbow up in front of it, um, almost like a, it's a shield. Your mouth clamps down on either side of the crossbow, and the that kind of center post begins to crack under the tremendous power of your jaws. But hearing that and kind of feeling your hot and like fetid breath, he is able to then like duck away. So he no longer has a crossbow, but he avoided getting bitten by you, and also now you have a crossbow in your mouth. Perfect. So, so then, from where you are, you can kind of just make out this happening below a crocodile bursting forth from the aqueduct to attack the blind brothers. What would you like to do? Well, I, I, I'm a very firm believer of an uh, enemy of my enemy. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna let that be for a little bit and see what happens. I, I don't think I've seen a crocodile person in my travels. That's bad. This is just oh. a, this is just a normal crocodile. He's just big. Oh well, shit. <laughs> I don't, see, even then, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll let it be. <laughs> so you're just gonna stand and watch? Well, no, no. I, well, I, I would, I would just accept what it is that happened, and then. <laughs> If I could try to form some sort of shadow bow and arrow, I would maybe try. Roll your shadow forge. Gotta utilize it as much as I can. I don't know what it does. Twelve. Great, that's a full success. So with that, um, and given the fact that the blind brothers are distracted by this crocodile, you can form this shadow bow and arrow and use it all right now if you'd like. I want to try to shoot at the guy that was barking orders. Okay. I'll do, I'll do that. Okay, so that would be a volley, so roll plus a dex. Ten. That's a good hit. Oh good. Nine. This bald dwarf grunts as the arrow strikes him in the shoulder. He reaches up to, like, to grab at it like he's going to break it off. Um, only to have the arrow disappear into, like, mist in his hand. And he looks down at his bleeding shoulder, confused for just a moment, and then looks up, and finding you up on the catwalk with your shadow bow still there, just glares at you. Oh, hello. (laughs) Okay, let's pop back to Hans and Eliaf. Hans just decapitated one of the blind brothers, and Eliaf is regaining his feet after a somewhat a buffed jump attack. The two of you hear a rattling noise further down the hallway that you're in, and you also hear a commotion breaking out behind you back toward the hallway where Leandros and Fen went. What would you like to do? I'll ask Hans, what do you think we should do? I, like, look toward the door, look at Eliaf, look back at the door, and then rush back into the room where we can hear whatever's happening with Ben and Leandros. Okay. 
I would agree with that. I think we're loyal to them. I mean, we did pay you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like you can see that I'm torn. Like, I feel like my, I really want to go and take out more bad guys, but if there's bad guys back there hurting the people we're with, we're going to go back and help them. Yeah, your boss currently is, like, I think on the ground right now, unconscious or something. Yeah. You move back into the entryway and down the other hall. As soon as you step into this hallway, you can see at the far end of the door leading into the cistern room of the aqueduct is Leandros. A rapidly growing pool of blood is around him. There are five crossbow bolts sticking in him, uh, several in his chest near vital areas, and he just is not looking like he's having a good day. I have um, two healing potions on me. All right, hold on. I have a move. Actually, I think I upgraded it to, to what, perfect hospitaler. How does that work, Thomas? Is it a once-per-day thing? You can actually do this as much as you want. Um, the cost for this particular type of divine magic is different. So on a 10+, plus, uh, that's a full success. You heal them, nothing goes wrong, everybody's happy. On a 7-9, to nine, you still heal the target, but you will take that injury on yourself. So for example, if you heal them for 8 points of damage, you are going to take 8 points of damage. And what is a failure? It probably means that something bad happens uh, that prevents you from healing them. And I will tell you what the bad thing is. Well, that's almost better than the middle one. <laughs> Depends how dire the stakes are. He's like down out cold. You're a healer. You've healed wounded people before. He's either out cold or he's about to slip from his mortal coil. All right, I'll heal him. Seven. Okay, so roll your 2d8 for healing. Twelve. Wow, so you did not hold back. Go ahead and tell us what healing magic looks like. I would guess it's sort of like a, I would like kind of kneel down next to him and place my hands, like maybe on his chest where the crossbolts are. And then, then, like, sort of a green, I don't want to say smoke, but like a green light, I guess, would shine, would maybe come out of my hands and go into his chest. And I don't know if the cross bolts would just kind of disappear or, like, come out of him or whatever. Ooh, I like that a lot. And so I like the idea that the, the green light that is flowing from your hands into his body then kind of disappears for just a moment and then begins to kind of, like, shine up through those holes around the crossbow bolts. And as it does, they slowly, like, slide back out and, and then, like, pop out of the wound. And so there's just these kind of, like, three, like, green spotlights on his chest for just a moment, and the, the wounds start to heal. And as that happens, you feel some stabbing pains in your chest. And at the same locations on your body, you start to begin to bleed a little bit as if you had been hit by those crossbow bolts. So as you are wincing from the pain in your chest, you see Leandros' breathing start to slow and then calm and then kind of return to a normal, easy rate. He doesn't look like he's going to jump right back up and into the fight, but he is definitely no longer on death's door. Okay, now I'll use a healing potion on myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was worth a shot. Just a reminder, you do also have the bloody Aegis move which is a paladin move that lets you, whenever you take damage, instead of actually taking the damage, you can choose to take a debility instead, which is a minus one to one of your ability modifiers until you have time to rest and, and recuperate from it. Okay, I'll take, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I'll take a uh, hit, too. I'll be sick. That's the constitution one, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll take that one. 
Okay. So with Landris back from the brink, you take a moment to kind of uh, study yourself. The wounds on your chest are superficial, almost not worth uh, even mentioning. But you do notice that that tightness in your chest, that when you when you winced at that pain, like that that tightness really hasn't gone away, and you'll find that it, it won't for for a little while. Okay. What happens if you like have multiple disabilities? Well, as written, the rules don't allow them to stack. So if Elif gets hit with something that causes him to take that sick ability, it would act, he can't take a negative two in it. It would like slide over to something else. So he would take a debility in something else. Um, and then once you hit six, once you have all six abilities, that would mean that they they are weak, shaky, sick, stunned, confused, and scarred. At that point, the narrative ramification of all those things are such that probably, you know, if you're trying to walk around like that, you're either not going to be able to get into trouble, just physically not able to get into trouble, or you're going to get into so much trouble that the dice won't be able to save you. That's all I needed to know. (laughs) So, uh, what is Hans doing as Elif stops to kneel by Leander's side and take care of him? So can I see, like, the people Fen is shooting his arrows at? You can see the two that are on the catwalk across the aqueduct from you, the ones on the opposite platform. I feel like I'm going to, like, stand guard in front of Leandros, who's probably still laying on the ground, and Elief. I'm more of a hand-to-hand combat person, especially since I don't have a ranged weapon, so charging at eight people probably isn't a good idea. Let's hop back down to Leo, the giant crocodile, with a crossbow in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yummy. As those four blind brothers are still kind of gathering their wits and trying to figure out what to do with this crocodile that just showed up, what would you like to do? Um, how close are all four guys to each other? When you first popped out, they were probably like seven or eight feet in between each other uh, in a really rough kind of half-moon shape, all aiming up at the elf on the catwalk. Now that you've jumped out and you know scared the crap out of them, they're probably a little bit more jumbled together and a little bit closer together, but they are, they're not like huddling you know, against each other in fear or anything like that. Okay. So let's continue on with uh, the crocodile here and see what we can do. I guess I can finish chomping down on the crossbow to shatter it. Sure. And you're a freaking crocodile, so I think just one more chomp, and that thing is just pulverized. And then um, shoot out for the legs of the closest uh, brother. Trying to trying to grab for its leg so I can uh, pull it under the water. Okay. So the closest one is the one that stuck its crossbow in your mouth, and his adrenaline is really pumping. Um, he's got a dagger out, and he's going to try to stab you in the face as you come at him again. So what would you like to do about that before we get to the biting? Use your crocodile charisma <laughs> <laughs> to persuade him. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll use my, my wisdom to anticipate what his attack is going to be to avoid it. That is not the answer I was expecting. Uh, I actually really like that. It makes sense. You've probably been a crocodile before. You know what this thing can do and, and what things try to do to you. So, yeah, go for it. Roll it. <laughs> um, Eleven. So he's expecting you to like come in like up at his chest or at his head again. And so he's preparing to swing in that in that area. You do a little head feint up, and then swoop down at his leg. So not only does his blade just like whiz right above you, but you are going to be in a much better biting position for your attack here. So go ahead and roll hack and slash. Um, nine. 
Okay, so that was a partial success, but you did get a good, like, solid bite in on him uh, because of your positioning. So I will say that the partial is you can either do that damage from biting him or you can then pull him back into the water like you wanted to. Yes, we're, we're going to go do some death rolls with him. Then up on the catwalk, you have a great view in between shots of this crocodile lashing forward, chomping down on this guy's leg, and then whipping backwards up into the canal, and the two of them disappear under the water with a huge splash. What would you like to do? Seeing that it's handling itself pretty well, whatever it is, <laughs> um, I think I'll probably try to shoot another arrow or, or two at the at the big guy that I, that I saw, the leader guy. Go ahead and roll volley. Twelve. All right. Ooh. Ten. That is a good hit. He had been glaring up at you from the first time that you hit him, so he sees this second shot coming and kind of tries to pivot and get out of the way and ends up just taking that arrow, like, right in the side. And he again just uh, lets out a grunt, and he's, this time he staggers a little bit and spits a little bit of blood on the ground, but then looks back up, holding this arrow to his side. He's still alive. <laughs> I believe I described him as a hulking dwarf, not a dainty dwarf. Yeah, I give him an evil, shadowy stare. Let him know what's up. Out of the corner of your eye, you see the three blind brothers who just watched their friend get yanked into the canal by a crocodile begin to run away from the dwarf you just shot toward that ladder, past the two of their companions that are in the final stages of burning to death <laughs> from the fireball Leandros shot at them. Oh, Evan. The two blind brothers on the opposite catwalk from Than are going to shoot their crossbows at him. Can I, like, try to dodge one of them and then maybe try to use, like, the shadow to kind of use, like, a shield to block another one? Would it be two different defy dangers if I did that, or would it be the same, like, same kind of thing? You could do that as one roll, just as your shadow forge roll. Seven. You know what that means, so which of your attributes do you want to take for that? I'll do create desire effect and don't need to pay extra. Okay. So that means you will draw unwanted attention. So as you are drawing this shadow energy into you to form the shield, you feel like a, a like a rippling sensation in the air around. Nothing that you can see. Um, doesn't look like there's any sort of disturbance around you at all, but it, it feels like there should be ripples in the air, and that's weird. But those crossbow bolts are flying at you, and the shadow energy just kind of dances in your eyes for a moment. And then right just inches from you, the, the bolts just disappear into wisps of shadow. Thank you. I think right after I see that, I would be, I would just like yell to Hans and Ben. Like, it doesn't seem like there's much we can do up here. Let's try to see if we can turn the water on in that canal and flood the place. Yeah, I'll hold them off from here and do what you got to do. <laughs> okay. Hans and I heard a rattling down the hallway. Let's go see if we can. So is Leandros still laying on the ground? So yeah, I mean, you should stay with Leandros and try to hold down this area, and maybe Hans and I will go. Have, have they seen Cloud? Are you asking me or them? Asking you is in a way like have they reacted to her being there? They have not, and she is happily hubbing next to you. Oh, God. Shit. <laughs> so we go back down the hallway. So, Hans, you are going with Elia. Yeah, I feel like at first I didn't really want to, but 
it looked like Fan and Alligator Man can handle things. <laughs> Super Croc. I feel like as Hans and I are running down the hallway, I would kind of be annoying about like trying to convince him that it's the right move, you know, or like look for his kind of um, validation. Like, oh, we're doing the right thing, right? Like we can't, we don't have any bows and arrows. We can't, you know, help from up there kind of thing. And he would be like, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. <laughs> what is Hans like? <laughs> I feel like I felt it was more like in a protective way of Eliaf without like telling him that I'm going with a bunch of protectors. Okay, the two of you start running down the hall back toward the entrance and toward the other hallway. As you are doing that, the blind brother that came up out of the pipe to the pump house with the bald dwarf that Than has been shooting shadow arrows at pulls out a loot and strums it a couple of times and then starts just giving it a full arm, heavy rock kind of swing. The sort of loot playing that nobody who plays a loot would ever actually do. <laughs> And then you begin to feel these rhythmic, aggressive chords begin to kind of start vibrating your body, almost like that sensation when you're standing too close to a subwoofer, even though he and his loot are pretty far away from you. So I'm going to need you to roll a Defy Danger plus Con. Oh, okay. Uh, seven. So that's a partial success. So I will give you the choice. You can either take damage or be deafened by this sonic attack. Like, what does deafened do? It would be temporary, but it would be very much like in D&D. Some attacks or some creatures in some situations would have a much easier time hitting you because you couldn't hear them, and you might run into a situation where you would have a harder time hitting something because you can't hear it. Oh, I'll be deafened. Why not? It sounds more interesting. Uh, I get it. It sounds interesting, because you'll be deaf. Anyway. The loot isn't actually getting any louder, but those vibrations from it that you're feeling are getting stronger and stronger, particularly in your ears, until there's just like a, a, a pop, and then everything goes quiet. The sound of the rushing water in the aqueduct, the shouts of the blind brothers who are still freaked about the crocodile, even the loot itself is quiet. There's nothing but a low hum. Mop. Mop. <laughs> Mop. Mop. Anyway, um, so Leo. Yes. You said you wanted to do some death rolls with him. Yeah, let's let's finish him off. Him. Okay. Well, we said that you had a good hold on him, like a, like a really firm bite. So go ahead and use one of your wild shape hold points. Okay. But you're a crocodile. I mean, this is, this, this is just what you do. You start rolling this guy, and he was not ready for any of this. And uh, so he, you know, he sp- swallowed some water on the way in. He's screaming, using up his air. You, as you roll him, you probably like, smack him against the wall a couple times, and then just your teeth just gouging and tearing into his leg. You do about half a dozen rolls before his struggles start to weaken, and it's just a few more after that before he just goes limp uh, like a rag doll. Another spin or two for good measure, but then he's he's very clearly done. All right. So what do you want to do now? Can I transform while moving, or do I have to transform and then do attacks? D- depending on what you're transforming from and to, like it could be kind of awkward to be moving while you're doing that, like as you're, like your limbs change shape and size. But well, what do you want to do? What are you trying to do? Well, underwater, I guess I'll change back to human so I can, like, pull myself up 
uh, the water a little bit to see where they are. So you see the three of them running away from where you are now. They're maybe about 50 feet away. Another 50 feet beyond them is a ladder that rises up out of the canal up to that platform where you see an elf in black leather is crouched and kind of going, going, ma, ma. (laughs) Um, Okay. So um, we're going to change the charge at them. We're changing to a a rhinoceros now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hop down in the canal with them and transform, as I'm running at them, transforming. Okay. Uh, so we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but <laughs> but that is happening. So, Fen, what are you doing as you see this beginning to unfold? I get a little bit of a better sense of what's going on with him. <laughs> yes, keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. After having seen that and blocked those uh, bolts, what I did, I'll then, you know, try to ready up another ranged attack at the big guy. Roll it up. <laughs> That's 15. Well, that'll definitely hit. Good lord. Six damage. That does him in. What do you want that to look like? I will fire the shadow boat, the arrow at him, and as soon as it hits him, like, I just want him to almost get just, like, consumed by the shadow. And, like, maybe, like, the like the arrow splits off, like, the shadow part of the arrow splits off and just, like, just consumes him. Yeah, the shadow like rushes over and around him, almost like that ether storm looked from the outside. And then it slowly begins to shrink until it's about the size of a golf ball. And then it just kind of dissipates without like a poof, and there's just a little mist of blood that falls to the ground. (laughs) Just as the blood settles, uh, three more blind brothers come running out of the tunnel, just behind the guy who's still just wailing on his loot. You, however, are distracted by that feeling of ripples in the air. Again, you don't see anything, but it's it's like that feeling of being in water and feeling the waves kind of wash over you. And then you feel a pair of fangs bite deep into your shoulder. And I imagine you have a little bit of a PTSD-type flashback to those phase spiders that attacked you under Acton Manor. Uh, oh, no. Ow. So you're going to take 7 damage. Great. Minus whatever your armor is. So minus 2 would be 4 5. We'll now hop back to Hans and Elief. You swing through the entrance room again, and then down the hallway over top the two blind brothers that you killed earlier, and come to the end of that hallway, which has a large oak door. I'm not going to stop. I just want to smash it open, like throw my shoulder into it full speed. Yeah, great. Uh, that door's not meant to stop somebody like Hans. It crashes open. Standing in the middle of the room is a blind brother, a little bit younger than some of the other ones, holding a mace in both hands at the ready, but the expression on his face tells you he's not as eager to fight as the other ones are. To the left, there's another door that's closed. Then on the wall behind the blind brother are four large wheels. They look like metal versions of steering wheels off of ships, like the big, like, five-foot-wide kind. Above each wheel, set into the wall, are panels that have two columns of five gems embedded in them. From the left, wheel one, two, and four have all ten of their gems lit up. Above wheel number three, only the top six gems of those columns are lit up. The rest are dark. What would you like to do? Well, I'm going to rush at the... Well, unless Elia wants to do something. I feel like I'm just going to run right at the guy with the mace because... I'm already kind of pumped up still a little bit from Merc and the other guys. 
So this guy was just kind of standing in there waiting with his mace. So go ahead and give me a defy danger dexterity just to see if you're going to be able to, or to see if he's going to be able to hit you as you approach him. Only six, so I have failed. You did. So this guy is just so amped up on uh, like nervous energy and, and fear and adrenaline that at the very last moment, he just lurches at you with his mace and smacks you right in the chest with it. And that will be six damage minus your armor. Three. So just three damage, then. I will try to use my uh, I am the law. Okay. Uh, give me a little flavor. What are you saying to him? I'll yell at him. In the name of hell, hell, be of the unsleeping eyes. eyes. If you leave this room now, we will let you leave with your life. Nice. Am I allowed to shout something? Like in real life? I mean, go for it. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Let's resolve this, and then we'll see what is at least starting to happen, and then you can react. Four. I I rolled a two and a one again. (laughs) (laughs) So I can shout it now, right? I was going to yell, like, wait, we need him to, like, show us how the fuck it works. Yeah, 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 I like that. Um, so check this out. So Hans takes that mace in the chest and kind of staggers back just maybe just even, like, half a step. And Eliaf, who is keeping pace with Hans, steps right up into that moment and does his, I am the law! But in the middle of it, Hans starts yelling. So the end of Eliaf's pretty badass little speech gets kind of muddled and, and doesn't have the effect he was hoping for, but it does draw... The blind brother's attention, so he swings a haymaker with his mace at Eliaf. Well, yeah. All right, I'll just try to uh, just evade, dodge out of the way. Okay, roll plus dex. Eight. That's a partial, so I'll say that you can take the hit, but it won't be as bad. Or as you're kind of dodging back out of the way, you take a step back and are, are going to like be kind of stumbling and just a little bit off balance. So you're in a very bad position if he presses the attack. No, I'll take that. Okay, Hans? I feel like I want to like rush and try and grab the mace like, out of his hand and restrain him. Or I want to res- restrain him so that way I can hold on to him and Eliaf can like get him to tell us how this functions. Sure. Tell me how you want to restrain him. I feel like I want to run up from behind him, put my arms like up under his shoulder blades, I guess. Sounds good. Roll plus strength. Ten? Oh yeah, that'll do it. So, you come up under his shoulders and then lock your hands behind his neck into like a full Nelson. Wrestling over here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the motion Adam was making. I mean, huh? Anyway... Once you have that locked up, that's a, it's a pretty painful uh, position for him to be in. So it doesn't take much uh, persuasion on your part to get him to drop that mace. So now what? We I don't know. I'm like I don't know if I want to yell like tell us how this works or like we need to. What do we want to do? We want to flood a tunnel. Is that what we want to turn on Canal Three. Your plan. Believe <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a really good talker. I am. Yeah, in that last session. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> I can't lie. Since he has him restrained, I'll just like calmly walk over and I'll kind of like point my sword at his throat. We need to know how to turn on the water in Canal 3. So the intention here, even though not spoken, is you, you are threatening him, right? Yeah. Okay, so that'll be a move called Parlay, and in this case, your leverage is the threat of violence. So roll plus your Charisma modifier. Five. Oh, buddy. I am the worst roller of all time. 
So it looks like this guy is maybe about to start talking when the door to your left bursts open and there's another blind brother and he comes rushing in to protect his friend. Shit. I have the guy, so can I, like, get my sword out and, like, drive it through him? Yeah, the way you're holding him, there's nothing he could do to stop you. All right, I'm going to do that. Just kill him. Fuck this guy. Sure. I think you just push his head down with the one arm to give yourself a little bit more space, draw your sword, and then jam it up through his chest. And he's not going to die right away, but he's got a big sword hole through a lot of important parts. So you can then pull your sword out and let him just collapse. Good job. (laughs) So I can just do it? Like, I don't have to roll or anything? Narratively, he can't stop you. So there's nothing that any dice roll could do. Dungeon world. Exactly. So, like, body drops and I just, like, turn at him, like, with my sword. Not pointed at him, but kind of, like, pointed straight up and down. Back in Canal 3, we have a druid who was a crocodile turned back into a person and is now running and transforming into a rhinoceros. <laughs> go ahead and roll your transformation. Right, here we go. Uh, 14. Yeah. So you get three hold as a rhinoceros. Yep. So as you're running, you start to kind of balloon and get you know, bigger and thicker and your skin starts to turn gray as your gait becomes more like a lumber. It's a little bit slower, the the strides are a little bit heavier, and then your chest and arms are huge, and it looks like you are starting to topple forward, but you land and transition seamlessly into a lope, and you are running on all fours. And your face, which is now long, sprouts this horn that begins to curve and arc upward. So now a fully formed rhinoceros is charging down Canal 3 of the aqueduct. And this is still not the strangest thing that has been in the water system of Arthmore. (laughs) And so you are charging after those three guys? Yes. How far away are they now? Not far enough that they can get away from you. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good to hear. So what would you like to do? Uh, I think I have a pretty good idea, given that you chose a rhino, but... uh, Yes, I believe so. We are going to uh, continue charging down the hallway and uh, skewer one in the back with my horn. I'll make you an offer. I'll sweeten the deal. Since you are essentially nature's battering ram, if you use one of your transformation holds, I would let you try to gore one of them and trample the other two all at once. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go ahead and roll plus strength. Eight. Okay, partial success. So I'll say that you can you can definitely get two of them, uh, like a gore and a trample. Okay. Or you can try to get all three, but you kind of have to extend yourself a little bit more than you'd like to. And so you'll be in a very precarious position. So if somebody attacked you, it would be you'd be in a bad spot. But you would be able to get all three. Uh, let's, let's get two of them. Go ahead and roll damage. You're going to be doing more damage because you're trampling them, but uh, just to get an idea of like where in the range, of, like how much damage you're doing. Okay. Would this be an appropriate dangerous attack I'm doing? Yeah, I'd say so. So you get a little extra anyway. Yeah, <laughs> okay, good. All right. Oh, awesome. Four. <laughs> okay. So you come charging up and you smash your horn into the slowest guy. And you catch him just a little bit off-center, probably kidney area, 
And so your horn does like rip up and through this guy coming out of his chest. And he screams, and you plow through going after the other two. But now that you have uh, a person on your face, (laughs) it's a little harder to see. So one of them is able to dodge out of the way. And the second one gets most of the way out of the way, but you still kind of smack into him with your shoulder. And then you hear something crunch as he falls under your back legs and you stomp on something of his. Good, good. What do you want to do now? I guess we'll uh, try and like slide and turn and try and chuck this guy from my horn off of me towards the the last guy that was still around. (laughs) Like you're trying to use him as a projectile? Correct. Awesome. Roll plus your strength. Uh, Ten. That is a good attack, so roll your damage. Ten. Damn, okay. So you do the kind of the rhino version of a Tokyo Drift, and then whip your head around and send that guy launching off of your horn. And there's just a messy tangle of limbs and meaty thuds as the two of these guys collide and then smash into the wall of the canal. It's hard to tell who's what hit against what, but they both collapse onto the floor of the canal, and the guy that you gored is no longer screaming. (laughs) And the third one, the one whose legs you crushed, is still pretty active, but mostly in squirming and like writhing in pain. He does not seem like he's going to be much of a threat in the immediate future. Perfect. Well, that was a pretty effective use of a rhino. (laughs) Just out of curiosity... If he had changed back into a human, would his arm have been, like, through a guy? <laughs> no, he would have just had, like, a guy on his face. Uh, and has oh, me. okay. Yeah, <laughs> like that a, works, too. Like a hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but a rhino's horn is actually on its face, not its arm. I know, but, like, Drew, I don't... I, hey, I don't... Ben doesn't know how Drew would work. I don't know how this, this stuff works. It would have been a cool, like, moment, though. <laughs> Not a cool moment for science, but... Yeah, well, you know, there's dragons, so what do you do? I'm harnessing shadow energy right now. Speaking of which, we are going to come back to Than. You have a spider the size of a pony on your back, its fangs digging into your shoulder, and you can feel the heat of its venom starting to seep into your system. What do you want to do? Can I try to grab this thing and, like, twist and, like, throw it, like, in the direction, like, where all the guys are, kind of, like, not behind me anymore, just try to get it out in the open off of me? Yeah, you can try. Roll plus strength. No, this will be great. (laughs) Okay, that's a fail. Four plus one minus one. That sure is. So as you reach back for this thing, it instinctively rears back, uh, but at the same time its legs tighten around you. You hear a sound, a sizzling, kind of like bacon when it first hits a hot pan. And there's a jerking sensation in your stomach, and suddenly everything around you goes gray and fuzzy. Not unlike the effect on the movie when Frodo puts on the one ring. Okay. And you recognize that you are back in the border ether. And I'm, I'm still in like the same area, it just looks right, shadowy. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, and then you feel the spider's body tense again, like it's gonna go in for another bite. Yeah, I'm gonna try to you know, dodge out of the way of that. Roll plus dex. 13. Evasion! 
That's right, you get to do something super awesome because of your evasion. So what are you doing? I'd like to, you know, gain a little, just a little distance from him so he's not, like, right up on me. Um, like, just do, like, a little barrel roll out the way. And if I can try to, like, come up and knowing what it is and having a very strong gr grudge towards these things, um, can I try to siphon any etherealness from it to try to, like, either kill it or just weaken it or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so you are naturally fast, and you have a connection to this plane, and you've spent time figuring out how to move around in this space. And those last two things are something that this spider could never have anticipated. So you almost, like, melt out of its grip, and with, like, a big spinning sidestep, you come back to face the thing. So that was your evasion. Now let's roll your Shadow Forge. Nine. Okay, so two of the three. Desired effect and unwanted attention. So that is no unwanted attention. And then that means that you are going to pay an extra price for it. What is that? Mm, man, that's a good one. <laughs> Do you have anything on the standby? Um, I have some really nasty ones. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Let me... Hmm. Okay, what do you think of this? In Then's backstory, his elven father had an affair with a human woman. Your half-elven sister, Kara, was the result. When Kara was in her teens, your father exiled her to avoid scandal while he was seeking a seat on the Laurel Council. That's what led to Then leaving. So how about you give up your anger at your father? You don't blame him for driving Kara away, which led to her falling in with the silence, which led to her now being in danger from a lich. Eh, that seems too happy-go-go for him. I don't know. Well, but that's the fun part, because then later, if or when you meet up with Kara, and she is still angry at your father, and you are now not, there is a really interesting tension there. Okay. Yeah. It seems happy now, but is shitty later. I'll keep that one on the back burner for now. Let me just give up my feelings or anything like of lore. Okay, that's interesting. Like, I, like she's cool. Like she's a person, but you know, <laughs> I, I just don't feel that way. So, as a reminder to the rest of the group, because it's been about a year of real time, and for everyone else who doesn't know. Lore is the head arcane researcher for the Cerulean Sons. She gave Fen and his companions a number of their early quests, and Fen was becoming romantically involved with her. And so now as Fen is drawing the ethereal energy into him to create this siphon, you also feel that torch that you carried for her slowly die and go out completely. You still remember your flirty banter with her, but it doesn't seem special anymore. And you remember coming back to the Cerulean Tower and reporting to her, but you no longer remember those butterflies that you felt in your stomach every time you saw her. And I think it's a really strange feeling that comes over you. There's this numbness that soaks into you but you are feeling numb about the fact that you feel numb 
about a thing that you know at one point you felt very strongly about. But your siphon works perfectly. Very much like you accidentally did the cloud. You watch as the ethereal energy begins to flow out of this spider and into you, and you watch the thing kind of crumple in on itself and wither into like a husk until it just blows away in the ethereal wind. And you'll have a little bit of uh, like an extra bit of boost of ethereal energy for the next thing you want to do for it for a little while. Um, if I'm in the same surroundings and understanding how this etherealness works, I want to just slowly, casually walk towards the ladder and start climbing down it in the ethereal plane. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Where are you heading? I'm going to go up to one of the big guys if he's still there. I don't know. There is the guy still jamming on his loot. Um, it will take you a little bit to, to get over to him, though. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so we'll come back to you in just a little bit. Back in the room with the wheels and the gems on the wall. A blind brother has just burst through the door. Hans has drew his sword, killed the guy that you guys were starting to interrogate. And Eliaf, you'd probably be the first to react, so what would you like to do? I'll just charge at him with my sword up and try to slash at him. Okay, go ahead and roll hack and slash. Ten. That is a full success. Go, go ahead and roll your damage. Yay. Okay, so it'd be nine. Hell yeah. Alright, so this guy just burst through the door. He's still taking stock of the situation. Ilyev rushes up and slashes at him, catching him kind of just right across the stomach for a pretty good uh, hit that makes him very sad. I was already, like, braced, ready to attack, so can I just attack? Yeah. Alright, so I rolled, it'll be another 14, and I'm also gonna use um, Superior Warrior... So I will deal my damage, avoid their attack. I'm going to say Frighten. Okay. Let's keep that in mind, but let's roll damage first to see if he's going to be feeling anything when you're done with him. Okay. <laughs> he did. Uh, 12. Oh, yeah, he did. But he also looks very frightened as you come in for this killing stroke. So what does that look like? I'm probably just going to rear back and just probably come across his body, like from shoulder down. So your sword comes slashing down, catching him across his body. And as it hits that point where Eliaf's sword had already dug into him, it just splits wide open, and his intestines are already kind of starting to spill out a little bit as he collapses to the floor. Your sword will kill. <laughs> so both the blind brothers in this room are dead, and you are standing in the room with the four wheels and the gems on the wall. Forgot that part. Like, we would be smart enough to reason that the other three are working, so they all look the same, and that one's not working, so it doesn't look the same. That certainly sounds reasonable. I mean, I'm quite wise, so... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I point at Eliaf, and I, like, point at the stuff, and basically say, this is your deal, you know, like, you figure it out. <laughs> I'll go up to the one... And I'm, like, the... watching his back, so I feel like I turn my back, and I'm, like, kind of watching the entries to the room. I'm going to the one that's different and grab the valve wheel and just give it a big old turn to the right. The wheel begins to turn pretty easily. It appears it's been upkept pretty well. It's not rusty or anything like that. As you spin it and get it around a few times, the gems above it start to light up. When there are just two left, you're still spinning it, 
and that second one lights up and you hear a very heavy resonant metallic like thudding sound from somewhere deep in the aqueduct you keep turning and then finally there the last gem lights up and the wheel kind of stops and you hear a much louder much closer again like really heavy resonant metal thunking sound and you wait, and I think kind of the, you know, both of you just looking at each other like, what now? And then you hear the rushing of water, much louder than before. So back to our rhino. You are standing in the canal. Uh, you've just trampled and gored and battered those three blind brothers. And you hear a very distant, heavy thunking sound. And then another one much closer. And you look back that way, and then you see and hear this wall of water rushing down the canal towards you as the sluice gates have been opened, and this is now going to be an active canal for the aqueduct again. Are there any more guys left, the Brotherhood, or not? There are four of them uh, a couple hundred feet away, further down the, the canal toward the, the end of the aqueduct where the water is going to kind of drop off into those tunnels and actually enter the city's water system. Okay. There are two on a catwalk above and behind you, so they're probably about 50 feet up and maybe about 100 feet away. So um, we're going we're gonna to try and, uh, I guess, transform to get up to them then. What are you transforming into? We'll uh, we'll go to the Thunderbird. Sweet. Oh snap! <laughs> okay, roll your transform. Uh, seven. Two holes. All right. So you stretch out your arms, and they continue to just go out and become longer and longer, and these large blue feathers start sprouting out uh, from various parts of your body, eventually covering you as you turn into what is essentially like a blue-colored eagle with a, a wingspan of 15 feet. It's about t- twice a uh, bald eagle. As you give your new wings their first flap, there's a little cascade of little arcs of electricity all across your feathers. And then another couple flaps gets you up in the air just uh, above the water as it comes rushing through the canal. In the border ether, then you've seen all this unfold, although in you know various shades of soft grays. You have been walking down that way, and so you are on the wall between canal four and three, and so you have a pretty good vantage point as the water rushes through and just bulls over the four blind brothers that were still in the canal and washes them down that tunnel and into the darkness. So it's safe to assume they did not end well. Yeah, I think it's probably hard to imagine that there's a a happy ending waiting for them there. So from where you're standing, there are still two blind brothers with crossbows up on the crosswalk opposite from where you came in. They're probably about 150 feet from where you are, and probably about 25 feet up. Can I get there by walking or shadow walk behind them in any way? Yeah, you can shadow walk in the border ether. But I just want to—I want to get behind them and then like try to reappear from the ethereal behind them. That sounds like it'd be really cool. So I will allow that. I'll say that doing so uses up that energy you siphoned out of the the phase spider, though. That's fine. Yeah, I mean. So what does this look like for the people not in the border ether? 
Um, you kind of see, like, a weird buildup in the air out of nowhere of just, like, shadowy energy. And you kind of just see me, like, slow walk what, what seems, like, out of nowhere. Like, just, like, a weird pierce in just the middle of the air. As I, you know, bring my hand up, jab the dude in, the, in like, the throat or the face, wherever. Well, you tell me. You know, the fatal spot, we'll say. <laughs> ah, yes, of course, of course. Okay. So you appear, and then this shadowy blade in your hand, you just ram it up into his throat and, like, up into his head. And his eyes are just full of shock and then full of nothing. And as the shadow blade dissipates, he falls to the ground. Awesome. His friend, however, does not think it's awesome. And having seen this crocodile, rhino, thunderbird thing, you know, rampaging all over the place, uh, a bunch of his friends just got killed... And then a bunch more just got swept into the cistern. He's had enough, and he starts running down the catwalk away from all of this. Does anybody want to do anything about that, or just let him go? I think I would probably try to kill him. Our druid seems fine with that, so what are you doing? I'm going to try to, like, just shadow walk next to him, like he thinks he's getting away, and just, like, appear right in his face. And then, like, as soon as that happens, I just, like, have a creepy grin on my face as I just try to stab and kill him. <laughs> So that is very surprising to him, uh, but you are still coming at him from the front. He can see you attacking. Let's say, let's have you do a hack and slash for this. Well, is he, you said he was surprised. If he's surprised, I can, uh, that's a backstab. Yeah. yeah, do it. Nine. So even with a partial, you're pretty much definitely going to do some damage here. So why don't you roll that? I, I got eight damage. I rolled a five and a three. So you should actually roll one more d8 there. Is that how that works? Yeah, you get your normal d8 damage, you get a d6 for your backstab, and then because you have the dirty fighter skill, that's an extra d8. Oh my god. Five, so whatever that, ten plus three, thirteen. Okay, so you do your little shadow trick and appear in front of him, and you are just too fast for him, you just jab out with your hand. The shadow blade appears and bores into his neck, and he lets out kind of a gurgle as he falls to the, the ground. As this guy dies at your feet, then you take a look around the aqueduct chamber, and it is empty. There's no sign of that strange druid who helped you out. You see the water rushing through all four canals, but you're still deafened. You still can't hear anything other than that, that very, very low buzzing sound. You give the room a quick scan, and it actually seems kind of peaceful now, especially in comparison to the violence that you just helped reap here. And then that low humming changes and gets a little bit louder and becomes melodic. And there, sitting on the edge of the catwalk, her legs kicking and dangling over the rushing water, is Cloud. Thank you for joining in our wild endeavors. I'm your DM, Thomas Marsetti. Thanks to our special guest, my good friend Paul. Uh, Paul and his wife are about to have a baby, so future appearances of our intrepid druid may be sporadic. 
Joining us this time were... Uh, my name is Devin. I play uh, Theron Nilo. My name is Evan. I play the character Leandros. I'm Adam. I play Hans Gregor. And you can find me on Twitter at NPCULater. I'm Nick. I play Eliath Kin. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Wild Endeavors. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for the great music. And we hope that you would join us again next week.